the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Lots to get to here on a Monday, of course. Upon further review, our notes on the weekend that was, games we didn't get to see, storylines and narratives we got to dig into a little bit more on Sunday and Monday morning. Also, Poll Assassin, looking at some of the changes to the AP Top 25 rankings, any ballots or rankings decisions that stand out to us. The award-winning fan favorite, Day Trading Danny, will be making a return. We'll be hitting the bell. Market's going to open. But... We start with a little bit of news from Sunday as in the wake of a 52-42 to 42 loss to the Washington Huskies, USC has fired defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. Danny, is this indicative of uh, any sort of big picture changes that you expect from the Lincoln-Riley regime uh, at USC? Uh, I think Lincoln-Riley needs to find somebody with a mentality, right? Like somebody that comes in and brings a physicality to that team. And I think it, I, I don't think it has to be Lincoln Riley. Like I played for coaches that are offensive minds that aren't big yeller guys that you would think as tough guys. But there's a there's a softness about this team and it kind of was that with him at Oklahoma when he was at Oklahoma. I mean, he could always get away with some of these shootouts and I think before they go to the Big 10, they need to bring some physicality because that aerial pass game is not going to travel in November to some of those cold weather environments. So I think that's what I'd be looking for if I was Lincoln Riley. I think this is not, you know, this is totally expected. Maybe you think maybe it gives to the end of the season, but in yet another game where you're giving up 50 point, you know, a 50 burger, you're like, hey, just got to make a move. But schemes and all that, like, I think the talent is there. I think it's there, but I don't, I don't, it's just like almost, and I, it's kind of corny to say it, but I think, soft. yeah, they're soft, but I also think they take on the mentality, like the, the, the personality of their city, right? LA is a pretty city. Like you can't say that about Norman though. That wasn't why he was soft there, you know, but I do think his teams are softer on the defensive side of the ball and you need somebody that can come in there to be that gruff, tough, 
We're going to go. It's going to be hard work at practice. I'm going to get after you and just create some tough, like physical toughness out there on the field. There is currently a defensive analyst in the Big Ten who has a lot of experience as a defensive coordinator in the Big Ten that I think Lincoln Riley should go after. His name is Jim Leonard. He's currently on Illinois staff, but he was the Wisconsin D.C. for a long time. He was their interim coach last year after Paul Chris got fired. I think he'd be a perfect hire for him considering where they're going and what they need to get to. And I think you, you touched on a lot of key stuff. Like when they get to the Big Ten, they need to be stronger and bigger and more physical on the defensive line. And I think they've taken steps in that direction this year. Like they have improved. But even during like the Pete Carroll dynasty era, like they had monsters on their defensive line and they haven't really had them for a while. I think they need to get back to that. But I think a bigger thing is just philosophically like, one of the problems I had with Grinch's defense, besides being having absolutely no idea what a run fit is, like their approach was they were very aggressive trying to force turnovers. Like you'd see them miss tackles all the time because they were trying to strip the ball from the ball carrier. I get that approach if like maybe you feel like your team is at a talent deficit and you need to force turnovers to kind of try to, you know, give your team an extra possession and a chance to steal the game, or if you have a bad offense. But when you're USC and you're scoring 45, 48 points per game, you don't need to force turnovers. You just need to get a couple of stops, and the other team's not going to be able to keep up with you. So I would bring in somebody who's just about, you know, it, even if I'm just dropping into cover three all damn day and trying to limit explosive plays, just get some stops. So I think that's the one thing that they need to do because if you get a little more physical on the defensive line, get some more corners in there that can, you know, keep stuff in front of them. Like, there's no reason USC shouldn't win 10 games a year just by stepping on the field. And then when you have a good season, you'll win 11, 12, and maybe win the Big Ten. So Grinch was opposite Mike Leach, you know, when he was the defensive coordinator at Washington State. And that was why, you know, he gets pulled over to Ohio State because Ohio State's trying to fix a defense that opposite of a high-flying uh, high flying offense. Lincoln Riley, you know, that is looked at as a super significant hire when he comes and joins the Sooner staff back in 2019, that 2019 Oklahoma team, of course, made it to the college football playoff. Why do you think, I mean, it, it can't just be LA then, right? Why, no. Yeah. Why is this, why is the star fallen in the stock price? Not to, I'm, I'm day train Danny is already on my mind. <laughs> like, why, why is the stock price drop so much? We were talking about him as one of the top defensive coordinators in the entire sport. Doesn't seem like the game has changed all that much in the last five years. The expectations were different. When you were at Washington state with a Mike Leach team, which always the narrative about Mike Leach teams where they didn't play any defense. So you show up and again, you take over a team like Washington state, which was not a juggernaut team. And your approach of trying to force turnovers works because you're kind of playing the underdog role. But when Alex Grinch was at Ohio State, if you look at the numbers for Ohio State's defense that year when he was the co-DC, it's the worst they've had in the college football playoff era. They were a terrible defense at Oklahoma. They were a terrible defense at USC. When he stepped up the level of the talent and the expectation, that approach that he was using wasn't nearly as effective. Because, you know, you have to be perfect. It's not just about winning seven or eight games and getting to a bowl game at USC or Oklahoma or Ohio State. It's about winning 11 games, winning your conference, and getting to the playoff. And, frankly, the philosophy that Grinch has on defense doesn't work for that. When was the last time Oklahoma – so he was with them when they went in 2019? Is that when they went to the playoffs? Yes. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, he was there. It was like – but I, and I think that's the, that's the problem – 
is that the offense can only take you so far. That's why I do think this is going to be an issue for Lincoln that he has to address this offseason before they go to the Big Ten. The um, what, When's the last time you can think of USC having that hard-hitting physical defense? They... <sighs> They had a good defense. It wasn't that long ago. Like they had some good defenses under Clay Helton. They had some good defenses under Lane. They had good defenses under Sark and obviously Pete Carroll. It hasn't been that long. It's just the last few years, there's been more of an emphasis on, you know, stars and points. And they've kind of forgotten about that side of the ball. And also, I, I don't, what do they need? Top 25? Like they don't have to be Georgia. Sure. They don't have to be Michigan. They just can't be one of the worst defenses mm-hmm. in all of college football. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why it was pretty easy for Lincoln Riley. And that's where you wonder if there's a toughness, physicality issue that they're like, maybe some of it's mental too. There's some something philosophical is off that they need to address. Um, one last before we get out of here, Tom, you mentioned Jim Leonard. That's a great one. Are, are there any other names that come to mind in terms of uh, coaches that could potentially be on that interview list for Lincoln uh, once the season wraps up? names off the top of my head, no. I just think you need to focus on somebody who understands how the conference works because it's not the Pac-12. And mm-hmm. it's I don't say that as a shot or like it's, but it's it's different. Every single conference is different. And you see teams when they change conferences have trouble adapting to it and just, you know finding the new style that works where you're going to be. I think there's a lot of assumption that the Big Ten adding USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington is going to change the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten is going to change them, and I think they need to change to get in. And I think if I'm Lincoln Riley, like I mentioned, Jim Leonard, but even if you know other assistants, maybe current defensive coordinators, if you can offer them a big raise to get them to come, and you know, because like oh, Joe Rossi at Minnesota, mm-hmm. Joe Rossi could probably get a head coaching job if he continues to be a very good defensive coordinator at Minnesota. But if he goes to USC and turns that defense around, the difference in head coaching jobs that probably become available to him is vast considering what he could probably get as the D.C. as Minnesota. What about Manny Diaz? Do you think he would leave Penn State? Because I think he's one of the better defensive coordinators out there. You can make a case that he was a really good head coach, too, (laughs) you know, with what he did at Miami with what we're seeing now. I just wonder, too, if, like, it's. I think maybe it even depends on what Penn State does this year. Like, if they come up short again and you're like, all right, I've reached the ceiling here. We're just not going to be able to compete. Do you try to do it at L.A.? Because this is Manny's second year with Penn State, right? He jumped right after he got fired. Did yep. I always take that. Somebody explained to me earlier. Obviously, if you do one year and go, whatever. But a lot of times, the coaches have in their mind, you want to give it two years, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So he he can say, I did my job. I had awesome defenses, and now I'm going to head out to USC. Wouldn't be a Lincoln hires Phil Parker. Oh my oh, gosh! Oh. Talk about you talk about polar like going from one spectrum spectrum to the next. Ryan with his uh, Nittany Lion logo did say he's only leaving for a good head coaching job. I would probably expect that too. Yeah, because I do think he's in a place where he doesn't. I, you know, lateral. You could argue if is it a lateral move, but I would I would agree. He probably he's got a good thing going. You can play parlay that into another head job. More important, hitting the transfer portal for a D.C. or a new quarterback. What's going to be for Lincoln Riley as he tries to get the Trojans ready for the move to the Big Ten? I'll, I'll say this. Somebody asked about Bear Alexander. You think he's having regrets. Some of this, too, and this is, this is something I think we're going to see, and I think we've already seen it. Like, Bear Alexander played at five different high schools, already transferred. Like, is this somebody who's bought in for the grind you know, and, and I think we're going to see that. And you see it in NFL rosters. I played with guys that are just there for a paycheck. 
And if if things start going south and you're not winning and it's like, eh, all right, I'll just kind of coast. And I'm not saying that's a problem with USC, but it just came to mind when he asked about Bear Alexander because he's an incredible player. He's played okay for them this year. He's made some plays, but I just there that's what I'm talking about philis, uh philosophy and mentality and makeup in a locker room. It's more I mean, look at the the highest paid rosters in in, in Major League Baseball. They don't always win. That's the truth. Um didn't have it didn't didn't think we needed to give it necessarily an entire uh, segment, especially with reporting saying don't expect any action by the Big Ten in the Michigan sign stealing case for at least the next 48 hours. Um, but Wall Street Journal has reported it's, you know, the letter from the Big Ten president to the commissioner, not threatening, but not not threatening. I, I just figure if we're all gathered together, what's your what's your prediction or what's your read on the latest in uh, in what we might see from Michigan? Um, nothing, nothing. I mean, we'll see something. I don't think we'll see anything before the season's over. That's how I felt all along. I think that's what's going to happen. Boy, I the think rumor, we could. What the rumor mill was, was grinding yesterday and this morning early. I'll say this. I think legal action is coming if there's anything done before the season, right? I mean, isn't that predictable? If they, if they did something unprecedented, and said, Jim Harbaugh, you're suspended, or I just, it's a mess. I'm, I'm with Tom. I would say nothing's going to happen before the end of the season, but we've, I mean, when was the last time we've had, you know, 15 coaches calling for a coach to be suspended in action? It's it's wild. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, see, this is, I, I didn't want to, like, build this out because obviously we're not bringing any, you know, recruiting to it, but if we're just going to, you know, be a little messy and spill some tea here. My favorite outcome from this, again, this would just be for entertainment purposes only, is that the Big Ten says, Jim Harbaugh, you are suspended indefinitely while we continue our investigation into these allegations. Michigan hits them with an injunction. We got to go to some court in, I don't know, Indiana, Michigan, pick your jurisdiction. If this gets really good, like conference realignment, maybe we get competing lawsuits in different jurisdictions. And then maybe the injunction allows Jim Harbaugh to be able to come back and also coach while he's suspended indefinitely all at the same time. I mean, but who's that good for? What I just, I just said, this is nobody. Exactly. So why is that? No, they're not going to take that option. Like you could say, well, if, if the Big Ten does something against Michigan, Michigan will get out the lawyers and file a lawsuit and they will go to the courts and all this stuff. That's a bad look for everybody involved, which is why nothing is going to happen before the season is over because they don't want this dominating the headlines for the next few weeks while Michigan is competing for a Big Ten title in the playoff berth. And they've got a huge game against Penn State this week. And then there's still the Ohio State game at the end of the year. They don't want this. If the Big Ten wanted to do it, they would have done it already. It's re- I. I get the rumors. I'm not saying it can't happen. I wouldn't be shocked. But it, you think you think it would have happened already because there's so much more video that comes out almost. How much daily. stuff is already out? Yeah. And the fact that, like, you know, Connor Stallions wouldn't talk to anybody, whether it was the interior or the exterior. He's the one who knows everything. And if he's not talking, then you're not really getting any information. And it's like they don't they're not if you believe that he's it's the, not only the one Supreme that- Court, they don't have subpoena power. They can't get into Michigan's computers until Michigan files a lawsuit and then they get the discovery rights to go in and look. There's nothing that they have that can come of this. It's going to wait until the end of the year when it's just kind of brushed under the table and everybody's moved on. 
I would not be surprised. Oh, nobody's moving on, yeah, <laughs> no matter yeah, what. Yeah. Michigan might win the national championship, and Ohio State fans are not moving on. No, I but- would not be surprised if we see head coach Jim Harbaugh not on the sideline for one of the remaining or maybe multiple of the remaining regular season games. It just seems like a fast and – th- and this is just, again – practice just trying to think practically like because tom what you mentioned is they don't want this like that's the red meat that you throw because you know what michigan is not going to be impacted by not having jim harbaugh they did it three times earlier this season they threw up their fours you know they they did all their tributes that's just a lot different though you're playing penn state this week you're not playing east carolina no 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 i'm not saying this week it would have happened already but like i bet that they could beat ohio state without jim harbaugh on the sideline i wouldn't be that's that's sure. I'm not saying they couldn't, but I think that's a huge deal. Without Jim Harbaugh and the signal, so yeah, that, that's. I think that's. I'm not oh saying no, no Connor are, Stallions and no Jim Harbaugh. Right. Oh no. <laughs> so you think Jim Harbaugh is like a game day added value to have him on the sidelines? Mm-hmm. I mean, I the man has won everywhere he's gone. It's not a coincidence. Okay, we'll see. I mean, and, you know, to go back to the point, like what what USC is missing, Harbaugh brings that to yeah. the table for Michigan. Now I do, but I also think there's a culture there that's created where he's instilled a toughness, and they do have some practice without him. So, well, well, it'll be very, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what moves forward. But the one thing that I am encouraged by, and I am being serious here, you know, a little bit, a little bit, some jokes right there leading into it. It does seem as though no one is looking to hand down heavy penalties that will impact the players on this roster, right? Isn't that at, at least what we've seen so mm-hmm. far? And so, you know, everybody on that team, whether it's J.J. McCarthy, whether it's Chris Jenkins, Blake Corum, um, Zach Zinter, like the, the, the people who have been in the grind of trying to get themselves to the point where they're competing for a national championship, I expect that they should still have that opportunity as long as they continue their winning ways. Coming up on the other side, New AP Top 25 out means we are going to give it another look in Pole Assassin plus Day Trade and Danny and upon further review next. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Back here on the Cover 3 Podcast every single Monday, we like to take a look at the new AP Top 25. We like to call it Bowl Assassin. No changes in the top nine. (laughs) What do we do? What do we get mad about? Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, and Penn State all in the exact same order. They didn't have the same week. All right. Washington was in a, a shootout against USC. Ohio State had its hands full with Rutgers. Michigan, obviously, uh, you know, absolutely put the clamps on and won handily at home. Georgia had its hands full with Missouri. Alabama took down the LSU. Texas went to overtime against Kansas State. And no changes whatsoever? I mean... What could you do? Like, I mean... Because everybody kind of held serve. Maybe you could have dropped Florida State, but if you watched the game, there was a chance for Norvell to punch it in late. They could have, you know, won 31-7. It would have looked a little better. They didn't have their two top wideouts. That was something that kind of worried me, and I'll be interested to see what the committee does. But 
Florida, one of Florida State's better wins. Clemson beat Notre Dame, so that kind of helps them. Um, the only other and like the only other one I was thinking about was Bama, huge win, but can you move them over Texas? Right. No. It's, so it's the they're, they're Washington stuck. They're yeah, like the Washington, up. Oregon, uh, Texas, Alabama is a log jam. Yeah. As long as those teams have a similar uh, similar loss count and the head to head results, it's kind of hard for anybody to jump ahead of them. Kind of hard to. Uh, switch up that order too much jordan don't get excited with that question because there's a lot more than the top eight (laughs) okay further down in the rankings oklahoma state which was not ranked by the ap top 25 last week jumps in to number 15 (laughs) what are you laughing about tom i mean it's just it's funny to me like i'm not mad about oklahoma state being ranked because i'm perfectly happy with where they're ranked it's just how much more evidence do you need that the college football playoff influences the AP poll like after it comes out? Because last week before the playoff rankings are out, Oklahoma State doesn't get enough votes to, you know, even crack the top 25. I think of the few voters who had them ranked, let's see, only only one had them higher than number 20. That was Kirk Bowles, but only three people total had them ranked 20 or better. This week, everybody but three has them ranked at least 20th. Everybody's got them on their ballot. Some people have them at 11, like 40 voters have them in the top 15. What changed? I know they beat Oklahoma, but what changed? Oh, the playoff put a number next to their name. So when people are filling out their ballot, when when people are filling out their ballots, they're looking at the playoff rankings. But it also happens because they're moving Oklahoma down and they put Oklahoma State ahead of Oklahoma. Oklahoma State has wins against Oklahoma and Kansas, teams that are currently slotted at 17 and 19, and they also have the same record, 7 and 2, as Oklahoma State. So it is AP voters – it is AP vote. They didn't have the Oklahoma win. If AP no, voters are trying to correct their error for overlooking Oklahoma State and throwing in uh, Florida at their number 24 spot instead of having Oklahoma State there, then what they're going to do is they're going to overcorrect to try to respect those head to head wins against other top 20 teams. Uh huh. And if another team, Chip, you do the tomorrow's top 25 every single week, the team's at 26 one week and it gets another big win that week. They jump up to 15 or 16 in the rankings. They usually fit there at 20 to 25. Hey, listen, sometimes they'll jump higher if it's early in the season and, and the team they beat was ranked higher. I mean, that's it. It is a little bit of uh, I've, I've heard AP voters describe, um, oh, so I moved them in there just to take their spot. Like you beat Oklahoma, you get their spot. I don't agree with that as a method of ranking teams, but I know the AP voters sometimes think like that. And I think that's what we have going on right there. But yes, of course, the playoff committee rankings influence it. It's literally the tiny number beside their name on television. So, mm-hmm. of course, there's some. Influence. I, have, I have no problem with it. I just think it's funny because it happens every year. Uh, I have a question. Yes. Jordan's, Jordan's not going to like this one. But does Tennessee really belong where they are? Because my goodness, like what's what's the win? Texas. <laughs> I mean, what exactly you could say Texas AM exactly and it was kind of ugly it wasn't really convincing either like these are the good losses that you get benefited but I is the Florida loss is a bad loss Tennessee should be at the bottom of the two team two loss teams I think and I think Oklahoma State should be over them and I if you went by like who's I heard you guys on the uh reaction show like who's the hottest team right now I think mm-hmm. Oklahoma State might be at the top of the list but yeah, I also I- think they're their resume starting to build up too. Yeah, I, I'd have them ahead of Utah. I'd have them ahead of Tennessee. I'd, 
consider putting them ahead of Oregon State too. Like I, I think the Cowboys right now are better than all those teams. But as for Tennessee, like I was talking to Jordan about this before the show. Like resume wise, you're right. It's not great. But when I when I watch Tennessee play, it really doesn't seem like that drastically drastically different the level of team is Ole Miss. It's just they have the extra loss. So it's like they get I, I don't know. Like I feel like the biggest difference is quarterback. Ole Miss has a better quarterback than Tennessee does. Therefore, they have a better record and they've won more close games. And if Tennessee had Jackson Dart, I think they'd be the one loss team in the top ten right now. Um, Arizona, North Carolina, and Liberty all making their uh, arrivals. One of those teams is white hot, and the other two moved in. (laughs) 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 Moved into absent absent spots. Now, look, this is one thing I did want to mention about the the Wildcats. It's kind of an upon further review, but just a a line. I I had mentioned a lot about Noah Fafita. Um, This defense has been awesome. Here mm-hmm. in these last couple of weeks, they w- it was 43 41 in the loss to USC. Next three games, all against Pac 12 opponents, all teams that were ranked at the time the game was played, 40 combined points Washington State, Oregon State, UCLA. We've been talking about this UCLA, I mean, this Arizona program for several years now. When we jumped on them, it was almost joking like they play hard, but how much of defense, going back to our very you know opening topic with Grinch, is effort, mentality, mindset, being able to go out there. Um, and you know, put it all on the line. And the Wildcats have done a really good job there, uh, deserving top twenty-five ranking after the win against the Bruins for Arizona, six and three now overall. Uh, again, you can just tell by the voting points. Arizona way ahead of North Carolina and Liberty. North Carolina and Liberty a little bit closer to Kansas State, Fresno State. Those teams that were just on the outside of the AP top twenty-five poll. Are, are you guys surprised at all that Notre Dame hangs on? Because like this is this well, is a bum slaying ass team. <laughs> like they beat the, the hell out of bad teams, but like they lost to Ohio State, they lost to loss. Louisville, they lost to Clemson. Loss. Their best win is either a USC team, which you no longer deem being worthy of being in the top twenty five, or a Duke team that you no longer deem worthy of being in the top twenty five, and they barely won that game. And it's like you've got Brian Howell at the Daily Camera who has Notre Dame at thirteenth on his ballot. <laughs> why they got no business being there yeah not, <laughs> not at all that's there's ridiculous. no way to defend that that is not if that's the 13th best team in the country we are in a whole world of trouble we know 12 team playoff notre dame can get in uh-oh 15 we we say it a lot 15 to 40 sometimes a little bit of a grab bag so notre dame is definitely not in the top 15 and whether their performance is somewhere between 17 and 38 probably depends on the day. And they were certainly looking 38 uh, in Death Valley on Saturday afternoon. Danny, you need a minute to get ready? Yeah, just a couple seconds. All right, here, we'll, we'll hit a break. Coming up on the other side, every single Monday, we hit the trading room floor. Checking in with Day Trading Danny. Next. Back here Let's on go. the Over 3 Podcast every single Monday. Uh, we find out our stock report with Day Trading Danny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Got to get in the mood. Got to get in the zone. That's right. Uh, all right. So we're going to start it off there because I had a lot of people who made the proper assumption that one head coach was a huge fan of day trading Danny. 
Here he was after a big win for his program. And I know we're down and everybody's throwing dirt on us, but if, if Clemson's a stock, you better buy all you freaking can buy right now. Let's go. <laughs> oh, boy. So he's obviously paying attention. I don't know if it's subliminal or if he's just trying to send me messages just out there on national television, but I'm paying, decision, uh, paying attention. Now I got a really tough decision to make. What do I do with Clemson's stock? You know, I was thinking about this because there are two types of traders. There's chart traders. You guys are aware the chart traders? They read the patterns. They see if there's a head and shoulders patterning, uh, pattern. They see if there's, uh, they read the candles where they have this wick that goes past a stock. They're red and green and they're very, like if you look at a screen, you're checking the patterns. Then there's also fundamentals. You're trading on the fen- fundamentals. I think Clemson has really good fundamentals, right? They are mm-hmm. fundamentally sound. But here's what I don't love. The charts say it's straight down, right? It's going off a cliff. So here's what I'm going to do with Clemson. I'm putting them on a watch list. I'm keeping an eye on them until I see Dabo Sweeney go ahead and aggressively attack the transfer portal and say, I'm going to address my needs. I can't, in a good mind, buy Clemson stock until they adjust their philosophy as it, as it goes to the transfer portal. So I'm going to just put them on a watch list, keep an eye on them. I love the culture, love the fundamentals. But I want to see how this offseason goes with the transfer portal. There also is something about Clemson, too. People say that Dabo doesn't like the NIL. Like, he might not like it, but they do use NIL. Like, they're using that to their advantage. That's not going to hurt them or cost them. It is the transfer portal alone, which I wish Tyler from Spartanburg would have asked him about. So that's the first one. But when I did see Dabo, there was one clip that all I kept thinking about was this when he was out there yelling at people. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. The show goes on. This is my home. They're going to need a wrecking ball to take me out of here. A might have went to Bama, but he is Clemson through and through. He's not going anywhere. And all those people, that the bandwagon is back, baby. They're all cheering him, saying, that's right, that's our Coach Sweeney. And good for him for proving some of the uh, some of the haters wrong. All right, what else do we have out there on the market that's open to trade? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to snatch up some Drew Aller before the big game against Michigan. Now, you may ask why. The last two games, seven touchdowns, one interception, 450 yards in those in those two games. He's been really solid. He's made clean decisions. And then I go look back and I say, well, what happened against uh, against Ohio State? First of all, it was his first big road test on the road against an incredible defense. Now, Michigan does have a good defense too, but I think playing at home, having been through some adversity, having bounced back from it in a huge way these last couple of weeks, I think will go a long way for Drew Aller. So I'm going to buy up some Drew Aller before this game against Michigan playing at home. I think there's a potential chance for an upset, too, where we could see Tom Fornelli's prediction. Who else predicted the uh, three-way tie at the top? Just this you. This was the one I had Michigan losing, yeah. Just you and you alone. I think you could look like a genius when that is all said and done. Uh, other buys out there today. You know I'm buying? This is somebody I probably didn't pay enough attention to, but I'm slowly starting to come around. And I'm not going to be stubborn and ignore it while everybody else is getting in on it. I'm going to go Jalen Milrow. I'm going to buy Jalen Milrow as a quarterback who could win the national championship for Bama. Mm. I'm not saying they will. 
I'm not saying they're going to go waltz through Georgia, but beginning of the season, especially, I mean, uh, what we saw against South Florida, it was, oh my goodness, we might have to jump off this train really quick. All of a sudden, he's getting more comfortable. Tommy Reese is dialing up more runs. He's getting more comfortable running off script, making the most of it. We saw that with a huge game against LSU, uh, the four rush touchdowns, 155 yards. He also noticed that what else? He didn't go to Jermaine Burton. That was not his go-to. He didn't go to the big pass. I think LSU took that away, but he spread the ball around really nicely, made great decisions, play within the system. And if Bama can win a, a natty with Jay Coker, Greg McElroy, other guys, like they can win with Jalen Milrow too. So I'm buying Jalen Milrow as a quarterback who can win the national championship for Alabama. All right, other buy. Arizona. We mentioned them there in the top 25. I'm buying Arizona as a nine-win team. Potentially the third best team in the Pac-12. They have on the road at Colorado. They have on the road at Arizona State to finish off the season. And sandwiched in between, they got Utah at home. I think they can pull off that upset. Noah Fafita has been maybe one of the best finds of college football. We see breakout stars every single year. He wasn't even supposed to be the starter. He gets it due to injury, takes over the job, never looks back. 15 touchdowns, four interceptions since then. He's been phenomenal. Outplayed Caleb Williams head-to-head. His defense, though, I think is a huge asset, too. They have... People, you know, reminiscing about the days of the desert swarm defense with Teddy Bruschi. I think they're the third best team in the Pac-12, and they're going to finish nine and three. How we feel? Oh, got more on Arizona coming up later. <laughs> All um, right. Back to the Milrow. I love. Is it? It seems like he's just having fun. You know, the, and Tom was mentioning before the show that. We are in the era of the really good college quarterback. You know, the college football and especially at the national title level isn't littered with surefire top five NFL draft picks. But Jalen Milrow out there in a huge stage against LSU. It's the final home SEC game. He's talking to Jenny Dell, big smile on his face. You know, it was coach's birthday this week. Just wanted to get a win for him. Um one thing that Nick Saban has mentioned both in press conferences and in interviews has been how Milrow, the biggest thing that he has seen is that confidence. And I, I think it is awesome to see his journey. Love the buy there. But if you want to talk about what his ceiling is, if that confidence only continues to soar, everything else around him is going to make it so that he'll be able to perform in those biggest stages in Atlanta against Georgia, in the college football playoff if they were to get there. Uh, he is good enough to win a national championship for the Crimson Tide, no doubt. To note, interestingly, one of the teams that gave Georgia some of its biggest problems was Auburn. And if you remember, they didn't do anything through the air. What'd they do? Running oh, quarterbacks. Yeah. So that's an interesting something to tuck, uh, tuck away back there if we do see Bama versus Georgia in the SEC championship game, but it feels like we're going. A couple of holds. I'm going to hold on to these. I mentioned Oklahoma State, Ollie Gordon. I'm going to hold on to those all day long. But not only that, if Ollie Gordon doesn't do what he does, Alan Bowman th- throwing for 300 yards in Bedlam was uh, equally as impressive. They're the hottest team in the country right now. So I'm I'm staying on that train for sure. Jordan Travis, I'm still holding, holding by a thread though. And it's more about statistics because yes, he had over 300 yards passing, but he only had one touchdown. It's and it's a statistical award. I also worry that Miami, you know, losing again, loses some of the luster from that game. Florida losing again, loses some of the cachet from that game. Still hoping that Louisville, you know, runs the table and you could possibly see that one loss Louisville team for Jordan Travis, but I think his Heisman hopes are dwindling, but I'm still going to hold on to him. Sells. Here's what we have to sell this week. 
I'm selling Texas. I'm doing it. I'm selling Texas as the Big 12 champ. I think they have some issues. And I know they had uh, Quinn Ewers out. Malik Murphy's a problem. And I think we're going to get Quinn Ewers back sooner rather than later. But the defense also, and I heard Bud. I think Bud's on the opposite side of this one, right? I think I'm the bear. He's the bull on this Texas Longhorn uh, stock if we'd be discussing it. I think that defense could potentially be an issue. It is a defense. Gave up four touchdowns to Will Howard. If they make a field goal, if they don't get a field goal, you know, uh, blocked, you know, with a bad snap, if they, you know, if if they don't let Dylan Gabriel, uh, you know, run down the field on him at the end of the game, they, their defense just is susceptible, I think, to the big plays. And if we're talking about hot teams in the Big 12 right now, I'm looking at Oklahoma State as a potential favorite there. I think they should have lost that game. That's what I was trying to say as I was bungling my words, looking at my notes. I think they should have lost that game against Kansas State. Their defense, uh, you know, and if you had gone with a better fourth down play or had kicked the field goal and taken another overtime, which initially I was on board with, I was like, hey, I'm always aggressive. But you, when you think about who was playing quarterback for Texas, I think you should have just said, hey, we'll we'll take our chances, get some fresh set of downs. We'll see if we can score on them again. Uh, I mentioned uh, Jaden Daniels. I've had him as a buy. I've been holding it for quite a while. I'm selling his Heisman stock. Oh. Not selling him, okay. selling his Heisman stock. I really think it diminished his chances uh, to win the Heisman Trophy. I know a lot of people are saying, I don't care if he has three losses. Statistically, he's still going to be up there. He was in this game. But he really lacks the signature win that he could have had in any three of their losing efforts, Florida State, um, Bama, or Ole Miss, the games that he lost. He really lacked the uh, the big play there and the potentially Heisman moment that he could have had. And more importantly, like, when does he come back? How serious is the concussion? Is it something that could hold him out, miss time, where all of a sudden his statistics end up getting hurt there as well? So I'm selling my Jaden Daniels stock. Love him. Think he's an incredible quarterback. Think he made himself a boatload of money potentially at the next level this year. But as far as Heisman hopes, I don't think he can win it. I think he'll be there in New York. He's done enough, I think, to be there in New York, but I don't think he can win it. Um, What'd you think of the hit? Well, that's what I was going to get to. My other sell here is Tom Fornelli as an here official. Here comes the soft QB. I am selling Tom Fornelli as an official. I've already seen his take. He's He doesn't have eyes. I know he wears glasses, but clearly he can't see the hits where they go. So do you think that Jalen Daniels, Jaden Daniels, was a defenseless player by definition? No, he was standing in the pocket. But by definition, an offensive player in a, in a passing posture with focus downfield is the very definition of a defenseless player, which by rule... That is one of the criteria. The other criteria, did Dallas Turner lead with the helmet, shoulder, forearm, fist, hand, or elbow to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area? No. <laughs> no okay, so here's here, 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 Mr. Soft QB. Mr. <laughs> we make all the money and we don't want to be touched. Um. If Dallas Turner lowers his head and hits him in the chest with it, it's spearing and it's targeting. Dallas Turner was standing upright. He was not bent over. He was not leading with the crown of his helmet. The tip of his helmet just happened to make contact with Jaden Daniels' chin and face mask. You want to call roughing the passer for contact with the QB's head because that's what the rules say? 
fine. It's not targeting. There's absolutely nowhere you're allowed to hit the QB then. So let's just put a flag on him and you rip it off his waist. And that's, you know, that's the end of the play. It was the same stuff that happened to Johnny Newton last week against Wisconsin in which he just sacked the QB and their helmets happen to touch and they throw him out of the game for targeting. It changes the game. It sucks that Daniels got hurt, but it's football, man. You're, you're going to hit the QB sometimes, and you can't just sit there and stop and be like, where is it okay for me to touch you? Where do you want to be tackled? Is it okay if I hit you here? No, it just happens. You're running full speed. And it's ironic that Jaden Daniels, the man who throws himself into oncoming traffic for fun 15 times a game, finally gets hurt standing in the pocket for once. <laughs> I agree with everything philosophically about what are we doing if that is targeting. But by rule... It is absolutely targeting. Like I would love if we could go back to a time when that's free game. Cause I don't think it was, I don't think it was horrendous. I don't think, but by definition, I thought that was targeting uh, and it fit the criteria, which I believe Gene Steratore on the call agreed with me as did Brad Nestler. So I will say I'm selling Tom Fornelli's ability to go by the rule book. He's going by the rule book is what you should do. Cause I wish they could play that last sell for me. Gator Dan is done. As a picker, (laughs) he's done. I'm selling all the Gator Dan stock that I have. I'm getting rid of it. I'm not no longer backing the Gators. I backed him this season on the win total. I backed him this year. was bullish on him, maybe having a surprise at the upside. I backed him this weekend at home in a must-win game versus Arkansas with six losses in a row. I'm done. Sold. Missouri or LSU at LSU, at Missouri, Florida State at home. For the five and four Florida Gators, do you think they are a bowl eligible at the end of the season? No. Right? No, I mean, the o- the only path is a wouldn't it be hilarious? Yeah, don't even mention that. <laughs> don't even say those words out <laughs> there's loud. Nothing, there's nothing more dangerous than five and six Florida playing host to undefeated top four Florida State. I mean, really, any game left on their schedule potentially could be a would it be hilarious? I would, well, I mean, that would be the most hilarious for you guys, not for me and Bud, but <laughs> it would be for college football. Well, then, then we'd be talking, the, the thing is, then we'd be talking about 12 and one Florida State against, oh no, 12 and one Georgia? Oh no. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Florida State's going to win that conference title. That's for sure. Um, uh, any anything else from the uh, from trade? No, market's love closed. It. Love that market's <laughs> it's a long closed. Weekend stuttering my speech. I was out partying with all the other wolves. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we go under the hood. It's a pun for the review. Next, every single Monday, we like to go under the hood with a little bit more from the week that was. We call it a pun for the review. There were terrible calls. Do we want to go ahead and jump in? After further review. After further review. After further review. Um. All right, Tom. I got some sound. I'm getting queued up right now. But why don't you? Uh, why don't you take us where you want to go first? Uh, I will start with a couple. Uh, something Danny mentioned about the Alabama LSU game with Jalen Milrow. I wrote about it this morning in the Monday after. What's the the most interesting thing in a, for me and a reason why I agree with you on buying Jalen Milrow stock as far as Alabama and him being able to win a national title is LSU defensively all year has been an absolute mess in the passing game, in the secondary. 
we all expected it to be a mess in this one as well with Jalen Milrow killing teams with the deep ball all year long, or at least since he, you know, became a starter again. LSU took that away. Like in the f- past five games, Jalen was completing 60% of his passes of 15 air yards or more. On Saturday against LSU, he was one for seven. <laughs> so LSU effectively set out and said, all right, we have to take the big play away from him. And they succeeded. And then Jalen Milrow beat them anyway. And that's why I'm with you on buying his stock because like a good player or team knows what their strength is and then plays to it. A great player or team is able to beat you when you take away their strength. They're able to counter you. And that is exactly what Alabama and Milrow did on Saturday. And that's why I think, I mean, I still think Georgia's the better team, but going back and rewatching it and looking deeper into it, I, I think Alabama's chances of beating Georgia are better than I thought before the LSU game. I mean, it was a, you're coming out of the bye week, right? I mean, this is exactly mm-hmm. what you wanted to see for a group that now has um, one home game left against UTC, but you know, two road games left in conference play that are basically don't screw it up kind of moments. Um, they are very, very close. We'll do some conference title race reset coming up here in just a little bit. Um, this, this one's a little vibesy. But, uh, but I really liked uh, this comment because it was kind of a heat check, I think, for myself. This was Kirby Smart, about 30 seconds here. Kirby Smart after the win against Missouri. Uh, look, all games are going to be tight. I don't know. Like, y'all are acting like we're having tight. I mean, tight games are what you do in the SEC. I mean, there's the, the margin of victory. It is hard to win. Kiaris and Broderick just came out of music coach. It's hard to win. Make sure these guys enjoy it because they realize how hard it is, you know, across the NFL. It's hard, man. I mean, you're going to get every team's best shot. And uh, I thought our guys played a really good football team tonight. And we practiced really well prepared for it. Um, I was proud of the way they played. I don't know if that answers your question, but the locker room's great. I mean, they've been in these kind of battles. George, uh, go ahead. Did Shane Beamer steal that sound? (laughs) What? Did you see the Shane Beamer sound after their win against South Carolina State or Jacksonville State? Uh-uh. Oh, very almost identical. Like, hey, really? yeah, my guys are celebrating. That's a celebrated locker room right there. They had a big win. We need to celebrate winning. It sounded almost identical. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, but we sit here, and I thought we did a good job on the reaction show of positioning the game as Missouri is a good team that played really, really well. Mm-hmm. You know, that they brought the fight to that. But we watch. 12 hours of football in a day. We've got multiple screens. We've got research packets. We've got stats. We've got spreadsheets. And, and you know, we can sit in our little computer chairs and seem like we're kind of all knowing. And I, I kind of like just the the memory of, you know, or just the the shock of being like, don't forget, they're happy that they worked their ass off all week in practice, that they prepared, they had a tough opponent, and they won the game. The fact that Georgia didn't cover the spread of 15 and a half and a nine-point win, I don't care about that. And I, Georgia has won, was it 27 games in a row now? I mean, it ha- hasn't been since the SEC championship game uh, back at the end of the 2021 season. And so I, I liked hearing from Kirby Smart just the idea that, you know, even – you know, when they are in this moment uh, chasing the college football immortality as a potential three-peat national champion, you know, he, he could have been lying. He might have been telling the truth. But if that Georgia team is still, you know, getting great meaning out of being able to go out and get a good win against a tough opponent, then uh, I, I would say that's a good sign for the fabric and the overall DNA of this year's squad, which, as we've mentioned time and time again, 
is not last year's squad on a lot of levels. Agree, but point of order, Kirby, hi, Tom Fidelli, Cover 3 podcast here. Um, You mentioned that it is hard to win in the SEC and margin of victory. is It's it's always close in the SEC, and this is I, – I don't disagree. What was your margin of victory in the SEC the last two years again? <laughs> why, wasn't it, why wasn't it hard the last two years, and why is it harder this year? I, I'm not saying you shouldn't be celebrating your wins. I'm not saying you're not a very good team, but – how quickly we forget you winning by like 28 points every week the last two seasons. Was there a question that acted like the win wasn't impressive? Like I'm yeah, wondering it was, why. It was, a, it was a question about like the urgency and the vibe in the locker room. You know, it was, it was very much tabled and set up for being like, you know, are they, did, you know, did, does it, are they disappointed with the result? Yeah. You know, so, I thought it was a good win. Yeah. Same. It's a great win. Yeah. The best win they've <laughs> had all year. I'm mad yeah. they didn't cover, but what can you do? Yeah, but that's like we we sit there and we're like, oh, they underperformed expectations. And if you're on that team, well, the expectation you had to do with everything that you've done all week was just go out there and win that football game, right? They did most of what they needed to do to be able to do that. So first um, year starting quarterback, your best player, maybe on both sides of the ball, is out. Your defense is filling a lot of positions. Like that's a good win. Mm-hmm. Really, really good win. Um, all right, let's do. Hey, you mentioned uh, Arizona in uh, Day Train Danny. Mm-hmm. Tom, you got something else on uh, on the Wildcats? Uh, yeah, Arizona is officially on Wagon Watch. It reminds me a lot of the situation we had last year where Ohio became a wagon in that Arizona is now, after Saturday night's win against UCLA, they are 8-1 and one against the spread, and they are covering by 11.3 points per game against the spread, not just, you know, overall. And now this week they're going on the road against Colorado and they're no longer the home dog. They are a road favorite of double digits. They are currently favored by 10 points. If Arizona goes on the road as a double digit favorite and covers this weekend, they're a wagon. So it is just something to keep an eye on. It's a huge game for the Wildcats this week. And Chip, what did I... What did I tell you last year when I saw this Arizona team losing? What were they doing? Playing hard. That's right. And it's, it's you know, this is it's a very complicated sport from play to play, scheme, all that kind of stuff. But it's also a very simple sport. And you see something like that in a team that's getting its, you know, head caved in week after week. It's just not as good as the opponent it's playing. It's in a bad spot, but it's playing hard. That is usually a good sign of things to come, and we are seeing it with Arizona. And it's also kind of why I've got you know optimist. I know it didn't go well this week. It's also why I'm somewhat optimistic about Arizona State in 2024 as well. You know who else we could? Well, I think we did see this coming. Was Kansas first year at Lance Leipold mm-hmm. back end of the season? Very competitive games. You know, fight until the end. Uh, you absolutely can see buy in. That's what you want to look for. Is your team buying in? And you clearly see it with Arizona. Um, let's do a, a quick run. I thought that a, a conference title race reset might be there. I will lay. I will give the lay of the land, and, and we'll sort of do this as a game, get everyone's prediction of who ends up playing in the conference title game. We'll start in the ACC because it's easy. Florida State has already clinched one of the two spots. No divisions in the ACC. Louisville has Virginia and Miami left. One more win clinches it officially. If 
for some reason, the Cardinals lose to both Virginia and Miami and drop to five and three in conference play, then it would open the door. The teams that could potentially move through uh, would be North Carolina or Duke, both two conference losses each, and they play each other. So whichever one of those teams would win. Do you think that Louisville will win one of its final two games to make the ACC title game? Yes. Yes. Probably, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tom doesn't think Louisville's good. That's right. That's oh, the, the new rivalry. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think Louisville is good. I just don't think it's, you know, great. I think it's a team. I think it's, I, I talk about it. It's like Ole Miss. It is a team that is overperforming record wise, its actual play on the field. Yeah, but overperforming record wise and then asking them to beat a couple of teams who aren't very good. Oh, for sure. I mean, right. that's the thing, too. Like, the last two weeks, they've taken care of business pretty easily. They shut out Duke 23 to nothing, and they crushed Virginia Tech on Saturday. There's no reason to think they're not going to win one of those two games. They're playing too well right now. But I think overall, you get the same. Yeah. So I think I get a lot of heat sometimes, too, because I'll have a program. And I think some fans think they're either conference championship or they're even playoff worthy. And so when we say they're not that good, that's kind of the bar that we're holding them to. And mm-hmm. I would totally agree with you. Like, I think, I think so. Like, good is not the best word to use. I think they're, they're like, they're good, not great. Yeah. They're a strong team. They're just, I feel like this is a nine and three team that is currently eight and one, and they could win 10 or 11 games still. It's just, I feel like if you did, if they played the same way every season 100 times, they'd be nine and three more often than not. The defense has improved throughout the season. Opening, you know, opener against Georgia Tech, Haynes King kind of diced him up a little bit. A few other spots where you weren't sure if it was going to be there. They were down uh, Jamari Thrash in that game win over the weekend against Virginia Tech and just absolutely put the clamps on the Hokies. You, you throw that with the Notre Dame game, holding Notre Dame to less than 50 rushing yards. You throw that to the Duke game, throwing a goose egg on the board. There have been a couple of moments in some of the games that have had significance for Louisville this year where I felt like the defense has really answered the call. Okay, Big Ten, Ohio State 6-0, Michigan 6-0, Penn State 5-1. That's the East Division. West Division, help me, Tom. Iowa 4-2, Nebraska 3-3, Wisconsin 3-3, Minnesota 3-3, Illinois 2-4, and and there is still a statistical chance for Illinois at 2-4 if it wins out and gets a boatload of help to still make the Big Ten title game and win the division. So, who is playing in the Big Ten title game at the end of the season? Probably Iowa. Like they, they have the one game lead on everybody, but of those teams that are one game behind them, they have the they still get to play Nebraska, so that will be a huge game on Black Friday. But they have the tiebreaker over Wisconsin. Minnesota has the tiebreaker over them. So if Iowa loses one more and Minnesota wins out, Minnesota would have that tiebreaker. Minnesota but plays like, Ohio State. In the handicapping exactly. of this, that's one thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, a lot of stuff will have to go right for a lot of these teams for Iowa not to win the division at this point because of those tiebreakers. But, like, you look at their last three games, it's home versus Rutgers. They can lose that game. Rutgers gave Ohio State hell, and Iowa's just, you know, Iowa's Iowa. They've got Illinois at home. They can lose that game. And then they're at Nebraska on the road. They can lose that game. So, They could win every single game left on the schedule. They could lose every single game left on the schedule. That is the beauty of the Big Ten West. Like, there, we really don't know. Like you said, Illinois is statistically still alive. They need a lot of help. But if they win out, and they can, they could win the division too. So it's going to come down, you know, to the last week of the season most likely. 
I would say Nebraska has a chance, not just because of the head-to-head, but Maryland and Wisconsin opponents that looked like they would be really troublesome are both moving in the wrong direction fast right now, though Nebraska just lost to Michigan State. So who in the world can you trust? And Wisconsin just lost to Indiana. It's lost three of its last four games. It's banged up. It's it's heading in the wrong direction. All right, this way should have lost Illinois if not for the crooked officiating. <laughs> Here's where it gets really tasty. In the Big Twelve, two teams tied at the top: Texas at five and one, Oklahoma State at five and one, Oklahoma at four and two, Kansas State at four and two. Everybody has three conference games left. Texas is at TCU, at Iowa State, Texas Tech. Oklahoma State is at UCF, at Houston, BYU. Oklahoma has West Virginia home, BYU Road, TCU home. Kansas State has Baylor at Kansas and Iowa State. Who of those four teams do you think is playing for the Big 12 title on the first Saturday in December? Cowboys are in. It's done. Like you mentioned their last three games. I, they could lose one. I don't see them losing to any of those teams. I don't I don't really think any of them are that good. What's their combined record in the Big 12 so far this year? Three and 15. Yeah. So <laughs> not great for them. I think Texas is probably in too. Danny, I know you're selling your Longhorn stock. I'm with you. I'm with Bud. I'm sorry. I'm bullish on this team. I still think they're fine. I think they're better than everybody else in the league. And it's not to say they can't lose, but I I, I still give them the favor of the benefit of the doubt. So I do think the Big 12 championship will be Texas and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, yeah, Bud thought he he thought – UCF would be favored. It's only two and a half. It's a pretty tight line. Like that is a tricky game. It's at the bounce house. UCF's coming against off a nice win. I I think it's one of those trap lines that like, oh, you're like, oh, Oklahoma State's got to win. So that terrifies me because I'm with you on Oklahoma State winning out. I'll just say that one scares me, but I think they get through it. Texas at Iowa State. Consider that one the, uh, we'll see. I know, look. Iowa State could have been in this mix if they'd been able to win over the weekend. Clearly, they did not. You know, they take the loss in Farmageddon. But um, Oklahoma State, as you mentioned, with with head-to-head wins over both Oklahoma and Kansas State, you've got a lot of good tiebreaker. You know, mm-hmm. even if you do take a second loss along the way, a lot of good tiebreaker support right there. Texas, there there is a Oklahoma Oklahoma State rematch potential if Texas slips up. So, be very careful, Longhorns. Be best for all, all parties involved that you make it to that Big 12 title game with one loss. Now all that right. I think about it, that's probably why Bud isn't here today because he was wrong about UCF being favored of Oklahoma State. He didn't want to face the music. Uh, Cover 3 Tailgate thought that Bud's not here because um, be, because he doesn't want to face Ole Miss being a top 10 team. <laughs> that he saw that Ole Miss made it into the top 10 of the polls and he didn't want to live in that world. So that's, that's, that's one of the theories. Uh, all right, in the Pac-12, Again, no divisions here. Uh, Oregon at six and one. Washington, Washington at six and zero. Oh, Oregon at six and one. Oregon State at four and two. USC at five and two. Utah at four and two. Arizona at four and two. We are likely barreling towards a rematch of the game in Seattle. Do you see it playing out that way as well? I mean, Washington's not going to lose two of its last three, right? Like, For, so, I mean, Utah, Oregon State. All right. They're not going to lose two because Washington State at mm-hmm. home at the very end of the season, they, sh- they should be able to take care of business. Utah and Oregon State is, is a difficult difficult one, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just don't. I think Washington, they could lose, but I think they're going to be in the Pac-12 championship at this point. Oregon, it really, and they've got, you know, only the one loss. So you look at Oregon's remaining games, home versus USC at Arizona State, home versus Oregon State. Arizona State's the only one on the road. Arizona State is the 
lightest opponent on there, so not too worried. Can USC bounce back? Like, we haven't seen them do it. We just had another kind of crushing loss against a good team. They fired their defensive coordinator. Can they rally to go beat a very good team? Haven't shown it. I'm not saying they can until I see it. I think what's this for the games? And it's like 15 points is the spread in that game. That says a lot. And then Oregon State at home, Oregon State just hasn't been very good on the road. So no matter how I look at this, I see Washington versus Oregon part two. And that's what I want. USC, if it does beat the Ducks and beats UCLA, I think it would have the edge and make the Pac-12 title game. Wouldn't it be hilarious? Yeah. It would be. All right. Um, SEC, any chance that it's uh, anyone other than Alabama and Georgia? Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, American <laughs> Athletic Conference. Did you know there's three 5-0 teams in the AAC? And they're, and they're not even necessarily going to all play each other. So SMU currently at 5-0. They have North Texas at Memphis Navy left. Tulane, 5-0, has Tulsa at FAU, and then UTSA left. UTSA, 5-0, has Rice, USF, and Tulane left. Memphis, 4-1, still in the mix, at Charlotte, SMU, and at Temple. Memphis has lost already to Tulane. So with SMU and Memphis, SMU still has Memphis, Tulane still has UTSA, and you, of course, UTSA still has Tulane. Who do you think makes it to the American Athletic Conference Championship game? How healthy is Preston Stone? Hmm. He left the game against uh, Rice late. He was banged up. Notable. I think they could. I think SMU. Do you think SMU success is so individually hinging on Stone? No. Okay. No, but I think he matters. I, I think the one thing that nobody's, or not nobody, but like that's been under discussed, like when it comes to SMU, they're 5 and 0 in conference play. They've only allowed 67 points in five that's conference games. Their defense has been outstanding, and then their offense is scoring more points than anybody. So, like, typically when you're scoring more points and you're allowing fewer points than anybody else in your conference, you usually make the conference title game. So I think SMU is going to be there, and I think the other spot's going to come down to Tulane and UTSA, and I give Tulane the edge there. Last game of the season, and uh, the Green Wave will be uh, the hosts there. Um, Mountain West, Air Force 5-0, and Fresno State 4-1, and UNLV 4-1, and Boise State 3-2, and San Jose State 3-2, and Wyoming 3-2. and Obviously, Air Force devastating defeat for the vibes. A, a true burn-your-hand-on-the-stove when it comes to applying wagon status. The notes have been taken. We will not make that mistake again. Air Force, though, no impact on the Mountain West title race with that loss to Army, still undefeated in conference play. They have Hawaii, UNLV, and then Boise State left before the end of the season. Uh, who do you think ends up making the title game for the Mountain West? Well, when you burn me like that, <laughs> the way they did, I, I, I want to go. I want to go UNLV and Fresno State. After that, they do play in Colorado Springs here in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. That I, that one's hard to explain. I I want UNLV there because at least then I could hedge my future on them. Um, I think Air Force will still get there just because they do have the advantage of not having a conference loss. But yeah, like we saw what happens when you, when you run that style of offense and you turn the ball over, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. Can they take care of the football? I think so. But I, I do think honestly, Fresno is the best team in that league. I was going to say when I was running the, the math on this Fresno, I think is the lock 
for the Mountain West. Even though they are a game behind Air Force in the standings, their remaining schedule is San Jose State, New Mexico, San Diego State. They already, for tiebreaker purposes, hold a win against UNLV and a win against Boise State. They do not play Air Force, but if it comes down to trying to figure out who's going to get in, I think that those victories against other contenders are going to be significant. So I, I think Fresno State probably has the best or least challenging path Give me Air Force and Fresno State being able to make the Mountain West title game, and that one would be a doozy to be able to see. Right. Fresno I think, State, I think only a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Only a one-and-a-half-point favorite. San Jose State? Yeah. Spartans have been playing better football in the last couple of weeks, moving in the right direction. Um, Sunbelt, who plays for the conference title game? Troy and? So James Madison can't play in the conference championship? James no. Madison cannot play in the conference championship. It is either going to be Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and I kid you not, there's still a chance that App State, with a three and two conference record at this point in the season, could could find its way into a Sun Belt East championship. I don't care. I'm protesting. Okay. We should. We should all protest because mm-hmm. it's highway robbery that they're not able to play for that. Did you? I guess they can potentially go bowling though. If there's not if enough there's not five enough and teams. seven or six and yeah, if there's there also monsters at the but, NCAA. Could you imagine who they'd be matched up like in a bad bowl game? They would absolutely smoke. Hell yeah! Yeah, I know. <laughs> they're ranked hey, right. city. I need them in that game. I don't care who <laughs> they're playing. <laughs> Conference USA, Liberty, and Western Kentucky, probably. Yeah, Liberty's in a thousand percent. Yeah. And then in the we can just crown, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. willing to. Yeah. Although I think I like Jacksonville State in the conference, you yeah. say. Um, Jacksonville State, I think, is also making the transition. The idea that was pitched oh, to me right. is that uh, James Madison and Jacksonville State play a bowl game. Doesn't need to be NCAA sanctioned. We just need to put it on television. Dude, Come on. Cover three bowl. Let's go. Let's go. That bad boy. Uh, I'll give me either Coastal Carolina at four and two, Georgia Southern at three and two in terms of who ends up winning in James Madison's absence, but I think Troy would have the edge over either one of them. And then Toledo and Miami, come on. Ain't going to be anybody else in the match. Why? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chip. I'm sorry. But why? what is the thought process behind those teams not being eligible to play for the postseason? What are you protecting <sighs> against? You worried that like a 1,000 FCS teams are going to join the FBS so they can go to a bowl game? Most of them can't. Maybe these teams are showing up and they're kicking everybody's ass and you're punishing them for being good. Like, oh, sorry, it's too quick. It makes it's eh, whatever. It's a dumb rule. that Maybe it made sense 20 years ago, but it doesn't make sense anymore. But hey, that's the NCAA, right? A bunch of rules that made sense 40 years ago that have no purpose now. They are making it tougher to make the move. I remember this past summer when they were changing the bylaws, they were like, well, you know, because of course, you know, university presidents trying to squeeze every last penny out of college athletics possible because of the crisis in higher education, yada, yada, yada. But they were like, hey, wait a second. The application fee for FBS is only $10,000. That's not enough money. We should make it $200,000. There we go. Like, if you can afford to come compete at this level, you'll pay it. So, yeah, so I think change, that, change the guidelines to get in. But once you're in, you're in. Yeah. It's stupid. Was it to protect the teams from an extra game? I honestly don't know. There was a. I was trying to research this one game, and I did, or one day, and I did see something to the effect that it was to try to and to protect. Also, I mean, 
Yeah, they could scheduling. They could schedule to make a bowl potentially. Wow, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Which is very NCA of them. James Madison should be in a New Year's Six bowl if they win out. Like yeah. they are the best. They should group be able to play team. for the conference championship. They yeah. play in the conference. They saying. play a full schedule. But because they didn't join, whatever. Sorry, you can you can beat all our teams, but you're not good enough to play against our teams. What? Huh? Yeah, it's stupid. And I, I don't know what the actual mentality is. I, I just remember that the the money and what you have to go through making the move from FCS to FBS. I do think they intentionally make it restrictive. I think it's stupid that they do, but I think that they're definitely trying to do that. Um, Discourage schools that aren't already uh, that aren't ready from making the jump, and also to give them time to build up the necessary infrastructure. I'd say their infrastructure is just fine. <laughs> you only yeah. make the jump if your infrastructure is good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, can I play something real quick for you? Jordan found it for me. Yep, remember, sure. we heard from Kirby, like rough loss. You want to celebrate those wins. I went against Jacksonville State, tied up in the fourth quarter. Shane Beamer had this to say. You celebrate the heck out of this game. And we just had one heck of a celebration in that locker room. And our guys are super excited and dancing their butts off. And they're going to be people that just live a miserable existence that are going to say, why are you celebrating a 10 point win over Jacksonville state? Well, that's why you're not on a team. And that's why you're not, you're not on a lock in a locker room like that. Cause our guys work really, really hard during the week. And uh, we know we need to be better starting with me. I thought we coached poorly today in a lot of ways. Uh, so we'll be better, but this game is too hard, and we get 12 guaranteed Saturdays, and these kids work their freaking butts off. And uh, um, proud as heck of them to find a way to win uh, with a lot of the mistakes that we made. So when you win, you get 12 guaranteed. We're not like Major League Baseball where you get 162 games or basketball where you get 40 games or 30 games. We get 12, and when we win, we're going we're gonna to celebrate. Sounds ecstatic. Sounds like the <laughs> celebration has already started. <laughs> oh, but give him time, Shane. You'll be playing 40 games soon. <laughs> as soon as TV decides we need to fill more weekends. Right. <laughs> yeah. The uh that's it he he had I didn't coach well, but we're gonna celebrate. You know, that was a good team. Hey, Jacksonville State is a good team, but they are. I get the line of thinking. Mm -hmm. But like, do you think Bama was celebrating after the South Florida game? Oh. They probably like if you got caught celebrating. I, I'm like going back to Florida State. If we played down to a team, we were celebrating and be like, what are we doing? I think a lot of it does speak to your program, too. Like, it's perfect. Like, and that's not a knock against South Carolina, but they've had a rough year. They should celebrate mm -hmm. a win 100%. All wins should be celebrated, but we can also criticize you. It's, it works both ways. Hmm. Um, any, anything else we want to hit before we get out of here? Uh, can I talk about Colorado real quick? Yeah, for sure. What, yeah. what was the big difference in the offense this week? Um, well, Shadur has been set. Like part of the reason they made these changes is because Shadur gets killed back there. Like Shadur's been sacked more often than any other QB in the country. He has lost 350 yards to sacks. Nobody else has lost more than 250. KJ Jefferson's at like 245. But his overall sack rate was only 10%, well, not only 10%, which is the reason he was getting sacked so often is because he dropped back more often. Like there are other players in the country who get sacked more often per drop back than Shadur does. So I was, my thought was going to be okay, we're going to stop dropping back more and we're going to run the ball more. That's what pro style offense means. I don't know any NFL teams that throw the ball 75% of the time. Colorado threw the ball 75% of the time. 
against Oregon State Saturday night. The difference was the tempo. They didn't run nearly as many plays. And also, when they did run the ball, at an EPA standpoint, it was their worst rushing performance per rush in the season at any point. So, yeah, they aren't really running pro style. I guess they just mean we're going to run slower. Like, they're not going to do tempo. That's what they mean by pro style. We're just still going to chuck the ball like crazy. Because it's not like they were getting blown out and they had to chase points. They only lost by seven. So it was a clear choice. We're just going to chuck the ball around, but we're just not going to rush to do it. Mm. And the results were. Yeah. And to be clear, under Sean Lewis, they threw the ball 65% of the time. They threw it 74% of the time under Shermer. 10% difference. Mm. Who's next? Mm-hmm. As offensive coordinator? or No. Next fire. No, I'm talking about like the next axe to drop. Because Dion seems like that's his kind of MO is I'm – I'm benching guys. I'm trying new things. Is it on the defense next? We'll see. Uh, What's interesting of a process? No. One last thing before we get out of here. I'm uh, trying to make a make a note. Make sure we get this in on Mondays because the next time we get together with you, it will be after the new top 25 rankings have been released on Tuesday night. And Ball State, Northern Illinois, Central Michigan, Western Michigan, and Ohio Buffalo will be underway. So. With Northern Illinois favored by nine and a half at home against Ball State, Western Michigan favored by three and a half at home against uh, <laughs> against the not Connor Stallions, uh, and Ohio favored by seven on the road against Buffalo. Anybody got a uh, anybody got an early lean or a thought on a Tuesday night action? I would go all three dogs and do yeah. a parlay. <laughs> I no listen. I, I know that I made the joke, but. Uh, Central Michigan's coming after coming off a confidence building win where they were able to you know have a, a solid victory. You're going to make them a three and a half point underdog against Western. Come on now, fire up chips. That's my play. In Ohio, they've they've lost wagon status and now they're a touchdown favorite on the road. I know it's Buffalo, but that seems drastic. And Ball State is a not great football team, but just even Northern Illinois style of play just slows things down and limits possession. So I really do feel like if you want to throw five, 10 bucks on a three dog parlay, go for it. Dogs barking Tuesday. <laughs> the only one I would say is Western Michigan, but I like that. It's tighter yeah, line, but I like the dogs. Why not? Yeah. Dogs barking Tuesday. We'll be doing a live three hour podcast on Tuesday night, talking about the rankings and match football. Come and hang right. out. 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We will be reacting to the new college football playoff rankings. So come and hang out. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. Follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you.